Hey, it's Shastin Rains, and welcome to Crosswalk Church. You're listening to Today's Presence, a podcast in which Pastor Tim hosts conversations about culture, daily life, and what the scriptures have to say. We desire to bring you encouragement and hope during this time. So once you finish this podcast, make sure to visit crosswalkvillage.com to find more information about our church and additional resources from our pastoral team. Welcome back, everyone. This is Sam and Tim. Tim and Sam, we're happy to have you here on today's Presence Podcast. Good morning, everyone, or whatever time of the day it is around the globe where you're listening, dear listener. You fell into that same old trope that we did last (laughs) time. With the time stamp, we have to stop doing that. Remember, asynchronous now. Okay. Asynchronous. They might not even be listening to this. You can't even refer to a previous podcast because this may be the first one they've ever heard. Listen, they're it'll be binge. like a it'll be like a foretaste backwards, which I don't know. They're how gonna binge now after this intro. They'll be they'll think I have got to listen to every minute of this inspired <laughs> observations uh, emanating from these two. Emanating. Nothing's uh, emanating from. Hey, okay. Yeah. So announcements. Let's do announcements. Let's okay. Do um. <laughs> what? The what merch. I've actually oh. been asked about merch because we've been talking about it. Oh yeah, so we we've got some great new stuff coming up coming up. But but the thing that you have to purchase from the Crosswalk website, you go to www.crosswalkvillage.com/slash/merchandise, and the place the thing that you have to get is a Crosswalk uh, face mask. Honestly, they're really good. As my thirteen year old son says, it's like wearing underwear on your face. <laughs> To which I said, man, how do you know? And he said, well, I just assume that's what it's like. Um, and there, there are not children's sizes too, right? Yeah, we've got kids' sizes. And we also are getting, uh, I'm holding it up right now, even though you guys can't see it, we're getting uh, disinfectant, four-ounce bottles of disinfectant. This smells very nice. It smells like teak wood. And? And tobacco. <laughs> but not like smoking tobacco. Not like you smoke the tobacco because that doesn't smell good at all. It's very nice. How it, does, fe- it feels like to- you should be sitting on a leather chair. In your in your study with books and a sweater. That's what it makes it feel like. Is to, is tobacco a disinfectant or is that just the no the is, essence to make it smell good? I don't know. I think it's just the essence. Anyway, it's not bad. But I did learn this because you can use it to disinfect your mask. So I use it. I sprayed it on my mask, disinfect my mask, put my mask on, and almost passed out. You got to let it air out a little bit. If you don't, then it's a problem. So yeah, go to the website, grab it. We sold 500 uh, face masks in three days. So we just reordered up and we're ready to go. So yeah, there's people with crosswalk face masks all probably doing crimes all over the planet. (laughs) Actually, I listened to a very interesting podcast on face masks and where they actually came from and why in some Asian cultures, they're not seen with the same sort of anathema that we see them. It's called 99% Invisible. It's a great podcast. Yeah, oh, that's check my, that, that podcast is top of my list. Yes. You've Roman Mars. It. Yeah. Oh, you did, yeah. The voice that I would like to have for this podcast, but unfortunately... You don't have that. Yeah, my... Yeah, maybe... Yeah. Continue. So I don't know if these are announcements or just chatting right now, which is what we it are, feels like. Um, anything else we've got to mention? Um, where, where they can reach us if they have oh, questions or comments? Yeah, yeah. Uh, cro- uh, podcast at crosswalkvillage.com. Also, appreciate a review. We've gotten some great reviews. Uh, one person reviewed. Um, Thank you. And then a bunch of fives. Some people gave us fives, which is really nice. Some people gave us threes. And and I have to say, you should not listen anymore. I, you know, I actually saw it the other day. It hurt a little. Yeah, it did. Somebody gave us a three. So I think it hurt because I don't know what they were expecting. Do you think they were disappointed? Is that why they gave us a three? 
probably because of this five minute intro that we're in <laughs> right now. But my guess is they're not listening right now. So yeah, a three's you. not. A three's not. They're not coming back. We're you know we're behaving like millennials right now. Three's not bad. Three's three's uh, three's average. Three's middle. No, it's everyone middle. doesn't have to win every time. Do you want? And, you want, and a, by you the want way, a trophy? You want a trophy for three? The fact that, that I just want? said millennial and I said that whole thing, that stereotype about them, probably means we got to do an episode on millennials, which is coming. Dear listener, Millenni- we're talking about it. Millennials have been begging for an episode. They're like, "Do me, do me, do me." <laughs> we did, um, uh, dear listeners and special guests, we did an episode on generational theory, and um, all the generations that were not mentioned were pretty upset and they were mad about it. Find out why they were not mentioned. So do do millennials need one more uh, podcast? Are they getting <laughs> overlooked? Are millennials getting overlooked? I'm just wondering. In the podcasting world. First of all, who is that? Because you've not been introduced. Yeah, this intro you can't annual. just you can't just insert yourself. You can't just talk. <laughs> it's inappropriate from what I understand of podcast etiquette. Um, Sam, why don't you introduce our Okay, well begin um, I'll I'll begin the, the introduction is so long. I think you're gonna need your help. Okay, I got a cough, so I'm going to mute myself. So okay. you go ahead and start. Beginning. Today on the podcast is a dear brother and a friend of ours, Alex Bryan. Alex and I have known each other from days at Southern Adventist University, where we did not run in the same circles, but yet we knew of each other. Maybe he didn't know of me, was but I knew cooler? of him. Was he cooler than you? Oh, Alex was the, the he was the hot stuff on campus. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Matter of fact, I remember when Alex ran for essay president. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I voted for you, Alex. I want you to know that. It I was lost. A fit, I a lost fit. that election. Alex, we all sort of our paths converged at seminary. We all spent time in seminary together. Yep. Although, Alex, you were a bit ahead of us, right? Maybe a year or two ahead of us in seminary. Um then our paths again crossed when the three of us were part of, Alex was a founder, one of the co-founders right. of the One Project, um, a little project that we've been involved with for 10 years now, a decade. Uh, um, makes us old. Yeah. And uh, he's pastored in the state of Georgia, Tennessee, Washington. Where else, Alex? Am I missing one? Um, yeah, as far as pastoring, those are the three states. Spent a little stint in Ohio. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Hang on, California, a little bit. What truth? Yeah, well, last, last oh, year, yeah, that's right. Yeah, last yeah. year, I don't know what yeah. I was thinking. He's, that's so because been... it wasn't Southern California. And if you're not, if you're from Southern California, you kind of don't think of the rest of the California. No, I didn't even know you had, you'd been there. I thought you'd just been in like the, what the, the feet of Oregon. It's not Riverside County. I'm not, it's not, uh... <laughs> he has served as a as a senior pastor of a institutional uh, university church. He's been an, a university administrator. Yes, yes. Uh, as he yeah. mentioned in Kettering, um, and now he is a healthcare executive with Adventist Health, um, overseeing the work of mission and spiritual care and bioethics and a bunch of other things. And lastly, but probably most importantly, he is my boss. Yeah, that's so, why. That's why this took so long. I know. This is why. This is. <laughs> hey, this you're is not why. my boss, man. <laughs> you're just some rando, random dude. So this is my introduction to Alex. Okay, go hey, for it. Here's Alex. <laughs> that's 
That's all you get from me. Um, You're signing my paychecks, man. You're not getting a lot more. Millennials won't understand that reference, which you just did. They, don't, they will not. Sure. Um, we're not talking about millennials today. Let's, okay. let's put just them checking. off. But we're keeping them, we're peaking their interest. So that's pretty good. I like what we're doing there. So, Alex, um, life, life in a time of crisis, um, what's it been like for your family? Um, tell us what, it's, what life in Eastern Washington on a lockdown has been like for the Bryans. Well, in Eastern Washington, we, we social distance as a way of life. Like we're out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so. so that's been the easy part. Yeah. So we're like, nothing's changed. This is interesting. Um, and, and, I, and it's true to some degree, actually, by the way. I think this whole experience has been very different for people who live in concentrated urban areas. And if you live in more remote areas, I think that actually goes to some of the the political and and uh, just the societal argumentation and and frustration about all this because people are like I don't I understand why we're having all these rules I'm out here in a field and in <laughs> New York and no and in, in New York you know tens of thousands of people are in you know dying or sick and jeopardy right. and it's two different worlds so mm. you know so I think that that's as far as I mean I have a job I'm not sick. Uh, yeah, homeschooling makes you want to end end life <laughs> for your for your children or yourself. Your your um, but no, I can't complain, Sam. I mean, my goodness, people have had real issues, and it's it's interesting. It's interesting when you when you hear somebody go, oh, "Man, it's just so horrible to be stuck at home," and that's a real thing, I guess. You know, I feel claustrophobic. But what about the healthcare people that actually put on scrubs and a mask and armor every day? I'm like, I got nothing to complain about. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm working with tools like this um, all day. Did this he, is, did he this just is call us easy. tools? Tools, yeah. I think he said you and I are tools. <laughs> yeah, that's you know. what it felt like. Yeah. <laughs> um, so your Netflix project. Yeah, talk you, about that. That you've been posting about on the Facebook machine. Um, let's talk about that. This entire podcast could be just about your project. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. Walk us through it because it's yeah, actually not, quite inspiring. Yeah. Not, not um, tries to autocorrect to Netflix every single time in Facebook, by the way, it's very annoying. <laughs> so I can't seem to get it to, 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 to I'm actually to play on word Facebook. It's, it's, it's not flex. <laughs> are you, are you talking to Facebook right now? <laughs> I feel, I feel like I, I could be Facebook's listening. Facebook's listening. So well, we might as well talk to them. That is true. Yeah. Is true. So, um, yeah, I was reading a blog uh, by um, a guy named Stephen Lloyd. He's an investment, nothing like me. He's an investment banker and apparently had a lot of time on his hands. So he, he went through uh, over the last six years and read like a tranche of, of presidential, American presidential biographies from Washington all the way to Obama. But he read like in some cases, eight or nine biographies on every single president. So he wanted to survey the, the, the material out there. So it took him six years and he went through this, went this whole project and I was reading about it and became like, I need to do, I need to do something intellectually interesting with my life. That's sort of a hobby. It, I really, I, I went through that thought and Tim and I had actually talked a little bit as I just crossed uh, the 50 mark and Sam Cross before I didn't. Tim is soon for all of us. Not for a long time. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> no. And I thought, well, what are what are some projects I'd love to do to just grow 
to, to, to grow as a person that aren't just perfect because everything we, we pour ourselves into our profession, but what right. could I do that would be interesting? So I couldn't take on six years and all that, but I thought I'm going to do one. The, I'm going to, I'm going to choose the, pre, the best presidential biography from Stephen Floyd's list. The one he, he recommends what's, what's his number one. And I'm going to read that throughout this calendar year. It's an election year. And so I'm really, I'm trying to be done by election day. So that's roughly a biography a week because 44 weeks, by the way, it's 44, not 45 because um, Cleveland was president twice. So you got to think mm. that through. But the 44, the 44 men, which is also interesting, men who have, who have dominated the White House. I'm reading a biography about each one of them. I want to be done by the first week of November. What number, are you, what number are you on? What number president? But I'm behind. I'm behind by a, a week. I'm on uh, Grant, who mm-hmm. is Which number was the, 17. Right. Number 17. I, knew, I knew that. I was going to no, say. No, number um, 18. I knew that. I mm. was going to say. Yeah. Gonna say. Lincoln, Lincoln 16. Lincoln yeah. 16. Lincoln Johnson, you, Grant. So, yeah. Are you reading them in order or are you reading them in, in a non-chronological order? In, in, in order, except I did read uh, a couple of them out of sequence. One, because uh, Amazon sent them out of sequence and I was stuck once. And uh, another, because earlier this year I had a project and I was, and I was reading a biography on, um, on James Garfield. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Candace Millard's incredibly interesting, by the way. Dear, what is it? Dear listener, dear, dear listener, listener. dear listener, dear listener, Candace Millard. You should just read all of her, all of her stuff. She she it writes it reads like fiction. She's just fabulous, and uh, the the her her work on Garfield is basically how he died, and it's in, it's a. Uh, I'm reading her. I'm reading her uh, leadership in turbulent times. No, that's Doris Kearns Goodwin. No, that's that's right. I'm not reading the person. <laughs> that's that's the, I don't know what I'm reading. Yeah. I'm reading. I am the reading book. I'm reading a team of rivals on your recommendation. Mm. Um, so, um, which is Lincoln? Lincoln is yeah. Hey, Alex, what what do you do when you're done with the books? Do you send them to your friends so they can become as erudite as you are? Because um, <laughs> yeah. if you need my address, I'd I'd I would yeah. I'd like to do that. So so actually, I I have a shelf, mm-hmm. and I put it so I can watch my progress, and I just add one. So I'm so it's just vanity. Really? Well, no, what it is, fellow pastors, <laughs> dear, dear, dear listener pastors, is uh, we're always looking for good material to, yeah. to use in presentations. And so I mark these books up like crazy. And then I've got them set there because that, that will be a, a source of uh, hey, so, material. So just uh, some highlights. Give us some highlights that of stuff you've Man. some of that material. I've heard you, by the way, because I've listened to Alex. Um, Tim, give lots of devotionals and the the Netflix project is bubbles bubbles to the surface a lot. Too much. It's no, it's great actually. <laughs> no, no, I it's, think it's great. It's 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 like uh is it our friend Patty McCoy's uh always talks about his uh, parents who raise um it's not llamas, is it? No, is it no, llamas? no. And if you yeah. call it llamas, he gets kind of but is it alpacas. alpacas and he's like, give him five minutes, they'll be talking about alpacas, you know, in any call. <laughs> like, well, Alex is gonna be talking about what he's reading and about. Let's give him five minutes. Here we go. Yep, there it is. Um, but we asked. We asked. No, but I think people it's, love it. it by the way. People it love it, different. and I think it's been really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, but give us one. Give us one. One taste of, oh, of the, man. the material that you know from the 
from the pages that you've yeah, read so, and apparently so, not going to share with anyone. So I didn't, I didn't realize how incredibly funny Abraham Lincoln was because, you know, it's civil war and, and, and he also is quite melancholy. And so we know, we kind of have that image of him and uh, his wife suffers from probably we would identify as clinical depression you know, he, there's a lot of suffering in his life. And that's kind of the image we have of him. But apparently the guy is hysterical. And whenever he starts to tell stories, everybody just piles into the room. And they said they he would put his elbows on a table and he would start to talk. And everybody knew that they would physically be on the floor laughing so hard. And so, and apparently he gets called out because they're in these serious meetings about, you know, death counts in the Civil War or other real problems. And he'll be like mixing jokes with this and people were like mr president that's that's inappropriate like you can't be funny in this meeting and apparently this is just like a thing and he's just and it's all just master storytelling basically so once i'll give you one so this is this is more of a joke and i'm not really sure what this uh, program's rated but i'm going to test it right now let's go for it Um, it. (laughs) so uh lincoln apparently loved to tell a story about george washington so this is cool because it's Two, two, you know, of our more famous presidents. So he loved to tell the story about George Washington. And this is right after the Revolutionary War. And Ethan Allen, an American, is in England. So this is after we've told England goodbye. But he's in England. And, and the English there are like just constantly pounding on Ethan Allen about the Americans. All kind, you know, just razzing him all the time and just and, and uh, talking bad about George Washington. And so they, they do this prank and they, they put George Washington's picture in the outhouse, in an outhouse there. And they're like, this is going to be awesome because Ethan Allen's going to go in there and we've, you know, defamed George Washington by putting his picture in the outhouse. So Ethan Allen, you know, goes to the, goes to the outhouse and he sees it, doesn't say anything. Like he totally plays it right. And they're like, did you see anything in the outhouse? You know, this whole, whole thing. So Lincoln's telling this, you know, is always telling this story. And, and uh, so finally they, they, they go, did you see George Washington's picture? He said, yeah, I, I saw Washington's picture and they're like, what'd you think? And they just, and he just kind of plays it and they have, well, why do you, why do you think it's in there? And, and, and he says, well, I, I know why you put it in there. They're like, why? Tell us. He goes, um, nothing, nothing will make, uh, will make an Englishman blank faster uh, than, <laughs> than seeing, than seeing, than seeing the image of George Washington. <laughs> And uh, I didn't use the word, but, but uh, because I don't know your audience, but nothing, nothing will make an Englishman faster than the, than the side of George Washington. So apparently, and, uh, but uh, anyway, it, it, but no, but it's, it's like you, and, and his ability to actually strategically, and this is what was interesting. And you guys are both so good at this is if humor's not just rant, your, your viewers, your listeners will not understand, will not understand this about you because you'll deny it because that's who you are. But strategically using humor, Mm. Lincoln did it all the time. Mm. So it was part of his natural personality, but he also understood the role that it played in humanizing a situation, humanizing himself, uh, tell, you know, talking about himself, tease, he would tease people who were around him. Um, when, his, when he and uh, uh, Mary, uh, his wife, were living in two different places, which was common at the time, he was always, he would say, don't, you know, don't, don't look too good for, you know, while I'm gone, because I don't want anybody else, you know. <laughs> and she would send back, she would send back letters about, 
you know, how she's, you know, the, the flirting that's going on basically. And the, she would, she would Whoa. totally give it no, but it was, and they just had this banter. Like she would just give it, you know, give it to him in these letters. And um, wow. yeah, so that, that's one, I think just the understanding how a sense of humor appropriately used mm. is, mm. is important. And, and could there be a heavier time than the civil war when, when the American families literally killing one another? Yeah. Mm. And mm. yet he's, and yet he understands, um, and, and let me just one more thing about Lincoln that's interesting is that Frederick Douglass uh, said that Lincoln was the one white man who looked at Douglass, looked at him, and didn't, and didn't, um, basically didn't look, look down at him, just saw him with total respect. Mm-hmm. And, and there, was, there was one time this super famous person, I can't remember who it was, was at the White House waiting to sing Lincoln. And Lincoln was in talking to Douglass and the meeting was going long. So understand, this is a man with... This is a man with, with dark skin in the White House. It just does not happen. It's inappropriate. Period. Like in the North and the South, this is, and, and he's in there laughing, joking, talking with Douglas, and this guy's having to wait outside. And they're like, not, you know, Lincoln, you got an appointment. He's like, I, I got to talk to my friend Douglas for a while. Mm-hmm. And it just blew people's mind. It blew people's minds that he was doing this. And he was no saint. I mean, you know, Lincoln had, but uh, now some of those stories, I, again, here I am going <laughs> on and on and on, but it's, it's, fun. we just became a history <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, Alex. Um, I, one of the things I always appreciate about you is you're one of the most interesting conversationalists and you also think um, richly and deeply and even winsomely about a myriad of topics. And, um, one thing I want to ask you about, you've been, you've been um, higher educationally proximal. Proximal. Wow. How mm. many SAT words are you going to throw into that <laughs> pivot? Dude, stepping up my A game. Stepping it up. <laughs> Alex is here. I'm um, you've, been, you've been education proximal for a while. You were a, um, your president of a college for a bit of time um, out of Kettering. And... Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, education and how it's changing through this time. I won't spend too terribly much uh, time on it because we want to talk about other things as well. And Sam and I spent a couple, a couple episodes actually talking about higher ed that should be coming out prior to this one. But, um, we'd love to hear some of your thoughts on it, on kind of where you see higher education going and maybe all ed going, um, in this next chapter of, you know, this next iteration of life in America. Oh man, I should have listened to you guys. Then I would have had something to say. Oh no, we haven't released um, it yet. It's, we wanted to put you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I, I think first of all, what is the purpose of higher education? I think that often when I listen to people, you know, either in the industry or outside, I don't hear a lot about what do you, what is your, what do you, what is your purpose? And my, my point being, when you look at another history reference, when you look at uh, John Adams, who started public, you know, basically was behind public education in, in Massachusetts, or Thomas Jefferson, who formed the University of Virginia, um, they, they, tied, they tied higher education, education generally, but higher education in particular to citizenship, which is we need to train human beings to do the COVID crisis well, if you mm-hmm. will. To do a political, to do, tw- they would say it's it's about how these people can understand 2020, the world they live in, and be productive, useful citizens, and understand how to, whether it's work, government, human relations, that you got to understand the purpose. 
So I would say, first of all, I think that when, when a crisis like this is testing all the business models, Tim, right? Mm -hmm. It's test the delivery, the curriculum, uh, are we going to survive even before the crisis? Higher education is way too expensive. Um, is it really aligned to the, to the current marketplace, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I think understanding what, it, getting back to what are we actually trying to do here is important because I think then that can start to inform the, the choices that you have and, and what, what you're going to go after. Because like in, I think, I think that uh, in, in, in the Adventist faith traditions, higher education system, which I'm most familiar with, I think for a lot of people, it's just, we want um, a place for our kids to find uh, people to marry that are, that are, that are like them, which isn't mm -hmm. all, all bad. And I, I think that there's a crisis. My stutter is I think there's actually a bit of a crisis about what the purpose is, hmm. because I think mm -hmm. the thought is, well, this is where we can actually take traditional college age kids, protect them for a few years over here. And again, I'm not saying that's all bad. I mean, I want to protect my kids as well. Um, whatever protection means, but so I think getting, so I would just say, I think getting back to what, what's the point. And I also, I also think what I hear about now that I work in, in, I pastor in work in a, in the corporate setting, in the marketplace, mm -hmm. I just the idea that higher education is about just training people for jobs so they can go do a job. That's so dehumanizing. And I think mm -hmm. what it means is we just create widgets right. or whatever the word is, but we're not really creating this vision that Adams and Jefferson had, which is where my heart is. Right. My, yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know. I'm, I'm it philosophical is. here. No, I love it. And, and I think this that's is what, what we, we do. That's what we do. Yeah. This is what we need to drink. <laughs> um, and by the way, um, dear listener, the reason why we're having this conversation today is because uh, Alex, Tim, and I are part of a daily group chat on uh, the texting machine um, where we throw out topics and we discuss them and uh, we critique, we comment on everything. Mm -hmm. popular culture, religion, et cetera. And in a couple of days ago, maybe three or four days ago, maybe longer, Alex threw out some thinking about education and higher education that got us really going on, on uh, the future of education. So um, it, uh, Alex, the, it, by the way, we could talk with Alex about anything. Right. Right. This is, but, but today we're, we're kind of focusing on this one. So there's like a, what I'm thinking about is two, two questions that maybe you could, you could uh, reflect on. One is, so why do we need a, a Christian, and in our case, an Adventist version of things that exist and are being done really well in everywhere already? Why do we need a healthcare organization, which is what you're involved with right now, when there's, when there's healthcare you know, companies doing this work really well? Why do, we, why do Christian Adventists need or Adventist Christians need a version of higher education if it's already being done really well other places. Um, well, I mean, you could argue against that, but whatever. I mean, wh why is it that we need a, like a, um, an, a, you know, an, an analog of everything that exists already, like a, mm. a version of it? And I mean, I have a follow-up no, no, question. This is, yeah, well, I think, I think in some cases, the answer is we shouldn't be redundant. There's no point. You know, we grew up, we grew up as, again, referencing back to our pastoral careers, but I can remember lots of 
resources developed by the Adventist church that were basically, there's a really cool thing on spiritual gifts out there, you know, which is to teach people what they're good at in the church, but it's written by someone who's not an Adventist. And so could we like put a new cover on it and a new introduction and then edit out certain words and authors that we don't like? Why not just run with a great product somebody has already developed? So I think there, I think there's cases where we should in fact not do things because why? It's already there. Somebody's doing a great job at it. Why would we why would we replicate it? I would say, I would say the reason to do something like, like Adventist higher education or Christian higher education is, I think, philosophical worldview. Like what, what are the foundations by which you're going after what you're doing? So mm. I think that if, if I believe that God created me, created you in his image, does that not impact how we teach biology or anthropology? Does that, does, does that not... Does a does a reading of scripture not impact why we would be environmentalists, or why we would argue for universal health care, or or why would we would argue for a certain uh, kind of economy, or why why we believe art is beautiful? In other words, I think I think I, I do I do think at the end of the day there are philosophical. You know, here we are. Uh, uh, Ravi, I don't. This is going to timestamp this, but yesterday, uh, Ravi Zacharias died. He yeah. was one of the. I was not a big. I wasn't a big fan or reader of Zacharias, but he was basically in the tradition of trying to think things through from a sort of an intellectual foundational standpoint. Um, so, I, I Sam, to answer your question, I think that there are the reasons for education, the reasons for life, the reasons for learning. I mean, Harvard, Harvard, when it was founded in I think sixteen twenty. Well, I'm off about, I may be off. Uh, anyway, when, when Harvard was founded, they said the purpose of all education at, at the, at the bottom of it all, the foundation is, is Jesus Christ. That was Harvard university. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think, con, I think connecting that what's the per, what's the purpose of life itself? What's the purpose of educate? What's the purpose of these things we're studying? I think that as human beings, we want connections that make sense and are powerful. And I think sure. that's what you guys do in your preaching, by the way, when mm. I listen, is you, you, you connect life to God. Mm. We try, yeah. I, I, wanna, mm. I wanna mention two things. Number one, you were off by like 16 years for Harvard. What um, was it? It's, 16, it's 1636, I mean, everyone knows that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> At least that's that's what the Google machine told me. Yeah. Um, secondly, you said when you listen to us, um, which I feel like you don't listen to us all that often. Well, there's times where I do other things. <laughs> oh, I see. No, um, no, Alex, I think I think you're dead on, man. I think you're absolutely you're absolutely right. There, you know, our particular worldview, if you will, um, is is an overlay to you know the greater the greater worldviews that we live from, you know, whether it's North America, whether it's, you know, a race culture, whatever. Um, but there's a, hopefully there's a transcendence within our faith tradition or within our faith, I would say, and then within our faith tradition. Mm. And those, those things, you know, they do shade how we, how we look at the world and who we become and fostering that, fostering the beauty in that and, and the patterns that you can see in life through higher ed, I think is really important. I think what the problem becomes when that, um, you know, that mosaic gets boxed in 
And then I think we actually do a disservice to our young people because we don't create critical thinkers. Um, we think this way or, or not, you're not one of us. And when you create that false binary, um, that's, that's when our schools, that's when our educational facilities become irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's a, there's, we're in such a, such a pivot, such a change right now with the COVID situation, how we come out of that. Um, you know, CSU just said 770,000 kids are not going back to school in the fall. Essentially um, they are, but not in the same way. We have a moment to kind of regenerate the DNA of our higher ed as we look at things. Um, what, what would, what would you like to see happen to maintain relevancy and to um, for our institutions to become vibrant, maybe not again, I think they've always been vi vibrant, but no, to be but, you know, more vibrant and thrive in a, in a different way. Well, I think, I think part of it is I'm just going to tap into something you just alluded to, which is I think the vision has to be a lot bigger than we're just a safe little place with fences for, for kids that happen to be yes. Adventists. Yeah. Yes. I think there's no, let me be clear. I think there's no future in that. Mm -hmm. Or that's it's clear. a, that's clear. Right. I mean, right. I mean, I think there's, or, or it's a very small, it's a very small and shrinking future. So I think first yeah. it needs to be big, big ideas, big reach, um, faithful, but critical, but critical thinking. It needs to be bigger. So I think, I think that's one, two, I think, I think that the delivery systems have to change. And this is, I'm not saying anything that, man, I've, you know, you read, go to the Google machine, like you say, and you can read 10 articles about how this should happen. I was thinking this week, and it's part, partly why, Sam, maybe you said we should talk about this, just about the apprenticeship model. Yeah. Yes, that's what we want to get to. That's what we're well, to it's, it's, inter it's interesting because when you go back to, again, reading all these histories, you know, if you were going to be a lawyer, you hung out with a lawyer for several years, and then you read great works. Like you read English common law, you read, you just read about the law and then you apprent and then you essentially had a mentor, um, theology, uh, similar. Now, sure. There was, there, there, there was the, there were the beginnings of like for, formal schooling, but if you were going to go at medicine, a trade, you know, something in agriculture, farming, you would go. And that got me thinking about how expensive higher education and the whole, and I was thinking specifically about our particular, whatever, our expertise, our, our career, the three of us that are on this call. And I was thinking if one of my kids decided to go into pastoral ministry and now, now this is the most heretical thing that some of your listeners may, uh, is how, how strong could it be if they apprenticed under, for example, one of you guys at Crosswalk? I thought, so what if my son or my daughter, I want to do pastoral ministry. I sent them to you, but also you had them read like 150 of the most critical volumes mm -hmm. of biblical studies of, of, you know, they did their Greek and Hebrew routine online. You know, they just found a, a, a course mm -hmm. online, but basically they had to go through and, and work through that philosophy, different kinds of practical pastoral ministry leadership, like you basically gave them, a, they had to, to read an incredible library of material that was all the essential works. And then they would engage you in, you know, in the morning over coffee, you had your little group, you know, and you're engaging them with this material, helping them understand the implications. And they're basically working with you, say for a five year, for five years. Oh, tell me, tell me, so now I'm going to add, I'm going to, you guys, I'll be the host and I'll, I'll throw the question back at you. 
I think that that I think that my kid would be better prepared for ministry. Yes. Than going to a conventional seminary. And and let me be clear, I loved seminary. I had a great experience there, but do you, does that make? I, I, I'm just throwing it out there as a as an alternative that would be less expensive than running a huge institution. Expertise is now at our fingertips. Yeah, I, we can go to the Google machine, and I expertise is at our fingertips. So why not? But 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 what we need more than anything else, I think, is apprenticeship. Yeah. You, you first, Sam. I know we're both eager to jump in here. Yeah, Go. so two things. Number one, we have got to stop calling it the Google machine because we sound like we're yes, 79 right. years old. Right. I just was mirroring what echoing. I mean, well, I mean, Sam is that. old, but he shouldn't Thank be that you. old. Um, Thank you. Secondly, secondly listen, I, I think the difference between the model that you're talking about and say like a, a Bible college model, if you will, or a school of evangelism, I think that's yeah. what we call them in our faith tradition. The difference is you're not... You're not um, it's a much broader experience than just like a trade school orientation of here's how you do this process. Here's the fill in the blanks. Okay. That's a six week course. Okay. You're ready to go do evangelism. I think this is a, a full bodied apprenticeship that you walk out on a master's level. Right. And it's not, mm-hmm. it's so much different. We've talked about this, you know, from like an internship program, but an apprenticeship model sounds much better to me because you get to live what you're learning. And it's not mm-hmm. isolated from the experience of life, from the experience of the body, from experience of ministry. And I know they try to do that in seminary. They stick us in a little church somewhere in Michigan and say, this is, gonna, this is what it's like. Go out and do it when it's not what it's really like because you're not on your own and trying to figure out. Yeah. So, it also creates a, a relationship that far exceeds a diploma in any way, shape, or form. Because because someone that you've apprenticed, and I've had the opportunity to do that with a few people, um, you know, we're still in conversation. I don't really talk to any yeah. of my seminary professors, but the people that I've mentored over the years, we're still in conversation. That's a relationship that's much deeper and much richer, I think. Sam, you go. Sorry. For sure. No, and, and you know what? I think we have been doing that with people throughout our careers, we just sometimes haven't thought about the fact that we are actually guiding somebody through an apprenticeship. In my, I'm thinking of my years as a college chaplain and the, the amount of time that I spent with some of the leaders that, that actually chose me, they came to me and they said, I wanna work with you. And, in, and I think it was like a human deep, deep longing for being taught what, what I recognize in you is a competency or a skill that I want for me also. Uh, there was no, we didn't set out with a program. We didn't set out with goals. We just knew you're going to follow me for two or three years. And at the end of this, you're going to love what you do so much. I'm going to teach you everything I know. Sometimes the good and the bad, whatever. But at the end of it, they came out committed to to the work of ministry. I want to say a couple of things. I know this is, this could go on for a long time. I'm so excited about this conversation, by the way. One is that, um, isn't this the history of education, Alex? If we go deep, like far deeper than just a couple hundred years ago, um, it, it was actually you looking for a teacher and then you went and spent time with them. But when teachers began to realize, hey, this, this is something we can actually systematize, they actually created, the, the, they reversed the order. Instead of, instead of a student going and looking for a teacher, a teacher would get a bunch of his, his or her friends um, set up a university and then students had to come and sit down with everybody and learn, you know, um, but, but actually the original model was 
um, a was a, a a more close, more organic, not set up in ten week or sixteen week terms, a competency based. When you actually are competent in this area, then you've graduated. Uh, but there was no timelines on it. There was no um, the system put in place. Finally, I want to say that we've got forms of this already. We call them internships, right? We call them like we know what you're learning in the classroom is actually not not going to prepare you for the for the work you need to do. So we 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 sprinkle a little internship or some other real world experience at the end of your or in the middle of your actual work in hopes that that's the that's the experience that prepares you to do the work you think you're going to be able to do when you get a diploma. Right. Uh, what you're saying is we make it an internship and then sprinkle on it the actual textbook or classroom yeah. kind of work. Y- yes, except I would except I would use a different verb other than sprinkle. <laughs> um, Every, everyone would. Yeah. <laughs> no, and 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 actually. I'm teasing you, but actually, I think it's more than sprinkle because if I read this much, you know, these many volumes in seminary when I was in seminary, what I'm talking about, and Tim, this is backing you what you what you're saying about not a Bible college. I'm talking about a serious load of reading. Yeah. I'm talking about far a far greater investment um, in really being much more thoroughly. Um, whatever the word is, but thoroughly exposed, exposed to, to material, to, to material. So I think it's, it's really both. It's, it's intensifying the practical education in a much more serious way. And then I think Mm -hmm. second, it's, it's really deepening and expanding that reading in a way that um, the way that I don't think necessarily happens in traditional look in some profession, this is going to work better for, for some professions than others. But even in but even in medical school, I mean, it's it. Tim, you're down there near a medical school, both of you. But I mean, it's basically a couple of years of book work, and then six right. years, you know, two more two more years in medical school of of actual being with patients and other physicians, hands on, and then usually another four years of a residency, and then fellowships after that. I mean, it seems like in almost every profession, there's the possibility for that kind of a model. Yeah. And you know, Alex, you said something to me in seminary, we were sitting in Mark Wittes's house in the backyard. I think we we're having what? haystacks or something. I remember things. I remember oh. specific things. You remember what you were eating. I didn't, Amazing. I didn't know you that well. I didn't, we had only played basketball together and I objectively did not like you, um, from playing basketball with you. Um, it could, could be, yeah, not because you were good. That was not the reason. Um, <laughs> but, but so I was like, I don't know if I like this guy. I don't know. We're eating outside. And I remember they had these white plastic chairs, very specific memories. Um, and you said something to me that I've never forgotten. You've said, you know, everyone that I admire, whether it be a, in business or politics or, or education, whatever, everyone I admire, it seems that the common thing is that they read widely and they read constantly. And I want to make sure I'm a person who does that. And, um, and I thought that was really interesting because when we look at this apprentice model, um, 
like you take a class and you're given books to read and they're specific to that class. And there is a silo in which you understand that specific reading. But when you say, hey, in four years, you're going to read these 150, 250 volumes and you're going to have to figure out how it all works together in you. That's a very different approach. I think philosophically, it does something different to the way that you, the way that you um, loom that, that material together in, in your soul. Totally. Well, no, and Tim, I actually, I think it's actually, we've siloed education and, and it's no longer integrated. Right. So we've, we've created specialists and not generalists. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and he, as human beings, we function as generalists. And I think that makes it like, yeah. um, And I think, and, and that to me, that's an issue, whether you go with the apprentice model or you continue to to teach North, you you know, the delivery system is, is what it is today. But I mean, I would, I would argue for much less um, student choice in, um, (laughs) in, in education particularly in undergraduate education, I would argue for, I don't care what your measure is, these, these 50 books, you will, have read, you, you will have read these 50 because they're pretty critical to, to a broad way of thinking. You and I, does that make sense? Like yeah, I, that's good. I, I, I think, I think um, aren't, some, aren't yeah. some universities functioning that way already? <clears throat> they do. Uh, in fact, I think, Whitman Co- I think Whitman College, I've got their mugs. I think that they have a, a common sequence. And I don't, and I'm not arguing for or against their particular model, but um, I mean, I think the three of us have done some, some postgraduate work at George Fox University. Mm-hmm. And I read things I never, uh, that, that was one of the gifts I think of that particular program was I read, I read things I never would have read in a conventional program, right. uh, which, was, which was the program we were in was much more closely aligned to a mentorship type program where there was a single professor, but it was all about reading and then reflect reflecting on those reading experiences. And this, can this work as a business model? Well, what, what's current is not going to work as a business model. So let's start there. I mean, I think we're in trouble. Um, I think we have to stop with bricks and mortar. Yeah. Amen. And, and, and my little thing is not bricks and mortar, but, um, but books, books and mentors, you know, I think, no, but I mean, I think I was even reading uh, a few weeks ago, like, I think it's uh, Duke university, just put a more, no more, no more buildings because of COVID, but basically we got to stop building buildings. And I think, are we, are we in a world where just building more buildings is a good idea when, when there's common spaces, there's parks, there's coffee shops, there's libraries, there's churches, do we just need to keep building more right. stuff? Well, that was that was the case. I mean, I mean, from the twenty years I spent in a building, I can tell you that was already the, that that's been the case for many years. It's it's some of the most inefficiently used spaces anywhere. Um, large university campuses. The building I worked in sat completely empty for yeah. most of the day. Um, if you look at an airline, say, if you look at the airline industry, yep. of course, now it's completely messed up, but just in normal times, they need to have like airplanes going con- there. An airplane needs to be flying constantly and it needs to be like over 90% full. I mean, that's, right. you know, you don't want planes, one sitting around or two, you don't want 50 people on a plane that seats 350. Go, go to a higher education campus 
and just go to one classroom, like one amphitheater and sit there all day. Let's say an amphitheater that, that seats 120 students. How, how many seats are full, but yet you're paying for the maintenance, the you're paying for that airplane and it sits there all day. Well, but nobody really wants to use it at eight in the morning because no one wants a class at eight. And then, you know, you might have something at nine and then it's, it's yeah. horribly inefficient. I mean, in a whole, you have this whole campus where you have too many empty seats, too many minutes of the day. Yeah. Right. And, one, I, and one of the biggest marketing selling points for any any university is is class size. The smaller yeah. the class size, and the more intimate the class size, well, uh, the more attractive you are. Which goes back to your. It goes know, back you, to if cross if crosswalk said is a part of our ministry, we're going to we're going to train again. Ministry is the is the closest thing, but we're going to train let's say eight people at a time. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be free. I mean, it would cost something, clearly. It's not that it's free. But imagine you're not adding any buildings. There's no – it just so, seems to me that it's worth trying. No, so last yeah. year we did that. Last year we ran a cohort of seven people. Hmm. Um, it was a six-month cohort, and we met twice a month, I think. There was individual time that I had with each one of the people that were in the cohort. Um, I'll tell you what the the level of engagement as opposed to the class I'm teaching right now at one of our universities with 42 students, 30 of which show up on the Zoom call, and you know we're all we're all having to pivot to this. Um, man, the the level was so much different. The level of engagement and what's happened from that those cohorts is we've grown churches, hmm. right? Because they understand what we're doing, they understand what we think about our philosophy or theology, and then they go out and put their hand to to the till. You know, yes, Sam. No, this is the finger going. Hey, let's do some closing comments. <laughs> okay, because we're going to break this up into two. Because we're not done with the conversation with Alex. Because right. we, we haven't even talked about church yet, and we're going to talk about church. Yep. Just uh, yes. For the um, next podcast on a different day, asynchronous day. Yeah, we. It'll be months from now. We'll all be. Um, Can I say one more thing real quick? Please. Just yes. about the, I, yeah. Sam, when you think about where, where, where we work, I think even the building where I, where I work yes. regularly, th- this model could work for writers, for English majors. You know, when I think about our marketing communication department, it could work in accounting. Could, my, my point is, I think that, I don't think this is just about ministry. Right. Mm. Mm. Right. No, I think you're right. And we're going to unpack that. But this has been uh, Tim and Sam, Sam and Tim with Alex Bryan, our very um, intellectual and thoughtful friend who's uh, who's reading a book right now as we finish it up. I mean, that's how quickly he wanted to get back to his Netflix situation. Didn't even, didn't even allow us to finish. He's just already as headed as in a book. Um, coming to us from Eastern Washington, Walla Walla. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. We're going to be back with Alex again. We've got another installment of this, another episode. Uh, hit us up at podcast at crosswalkvillage.com. Thank you guys, and we will see you soon.